Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 107 of the Artifice podcast. Uh, I just want to say up front, if you haven't already listened to The Hallowed Wide, listen to it today. Listen to it a couple of times. Um, If when you hear it, you think, you know, my friend so-and-so would really love this, go ahead and send it to that friend. Um, And then if you really love it, reach out to me and let me know that you love it and maybe what you love about it. Um, It's out on all streaming platforms. Um, Yeah, add it to your playlists, the hallowed wide. Um, And if you love it and you want to hear the rest of the record, just go to my website and pre-order it. I already have the hard copies. I'm going to be sending them out in a couple of weeks. Um, Okay, that's all. That's all I want to say. Today's episode is with a chef named Matt Desjardins, who uh, is someone who lives sort of near me in Ogden, Utah. Um, And I know I say this just all the time, but I'll never get over how wonderful it is to not only get to meet people who I never, you know, otherwise would have had any reason to meet, um, but to have these meaningful conversations. It's so awesome. And then I just feel like, you know, I'm forever friends with anyone who I've had on the podcast. And I really loved talking with Matt. Um, I'm going to read you Matt's bio now. It is written in the first person. So it might be like a little clunky for me translating it into third person. So bear with me there, but um, I'll do my best. Okay. So again, Matt Desjardins is a chef. Matt's passion for the culinary arts started in his childhood growing up in Greensboro, North Carolina. Constantly being surrounded by home-cooked food and amazing restaurants really opened his eyes to the majesty of the culinary arts. Matt's mother had a home food delivery service that was called Fit to Eat. She made healthy meals for her clients as a personal trainer. Helping her in the kitchen when Matt was young helped guide his way into providing an intimate cooking experience for others. From there, he went into a private arts academy in high school. Over 10 years, Matt developed his skills and passion for the culinary arts by working in all types of restaurants with many different cuisines. He worked himself up from chef de partie, watching and learning from his mentors, to running kitchens as a sous chef. After years of working in the restaurant industry, Matt wanted to get back to his roots and his initial dream of being an in-home private chef. Matt was told once by a chef that cooking is the most intimate and connecting experience you can give to somebody you've never met. Since then, Matt has been driven to put positive energy and love into everything he creates. He doesn't just provide delicious food of all cuisines. He brings a warm, welcoming, and fun persona to the table that keeps people bringing him back again and again. And we talk a lot about that in the interview. Matt's goal as a chef and artist is to create an unforgettable experience that brings family and friends together for times of celebration. It always fills him with excitement to bring what he has to offer. See you for dinner, he says, Chef Matt Desjardins. Um, And again, we talk a lot about this idea of food and um, the art of cooking and the art of making food being this very, very intimate thing. Um, Yeah, the only thing that I can think maybe even comes close is uh, maybe like being a a tattoo artist. it's really pretty cool and it's a beautiful thing to think about and a beautiful kind of a worldview, you know, um, if you can imagine what it feels like to cook food that people are going to eat and especially cooking food in people's homes that they're going to eat. If you can kind of put yourself in that kind of a mindset, um, even if it's not a thing that you're doing, it's a pretty powerful way to think about other people. Um, 
and to think about what it is that you are doing in the small ways in which the things that you're doing um, are going to be intimately uh, connected to another person. So anyway, that's the intro. I don't think I have anything else to say. I hope you guys are enjoying Artifice. I hope um, you liked my first in my Hallowed Wide Song Diary series that came out um, two weeks ago. Yeah, I hope you're doing great. I hope you're excited for the fall, um, getting ready to kind of feel, I don't know, a shift in mood, if nothing else, um, a shift in the weather, just some new, some new energy. So with that wish heading out to you, enjoy my conversation with Matt. Great art almost feels like magic. It opens our minds to brand new ideas and teaches us to see ourselves and our world more clearly. Of course, behind all great art, there are artists, and I think that's where the real magic happens. As we go beneath the art itself to explore how artists do what they do, we see glimpses of the sorts of creativity and resilience that lead to the art that moves our world. And maybe we can learn to borrow some of that magic for our own thinking. That's the goal here. And now that we're on the same page, let's dive in. I'm Emily Merrill, and this is Artifice. Yeah, when I was in school for audio engineering, I was actually a pro audio salesman at Guitar Center. Awesome. So I got to sell these mics a lot. And then everybody said, oh, I want to do the Sennheiser. Or I mean, uh, they want the, the they shirt. Think they want the shirt. And you're like, I'm just like, talk just about pay it. an extra 20 bucks and you're going to get a way better See, microphone. See, that's funny because like, and maybe it's just because I'm so aggressively blonde. But every time I go to Guitar Center, um, I feel like I'm always having to tell the techs like, that I actually know what I want. Right. And like, they're like, are you sure you don't want this? Like, I feel like every time I buy one of these, cause I have like six, they're always like, are you sure you don't want the shore? And I'm like, mm-hmm, yeah. yes, <laughs> like, absolutely. You, you positive. Couldn't, like you couldn't make me buy one of those. <laughs> <laughs> I I never want to mm-hmm. own one. Well, um, so I know enough French to know that your last name means of the garden mm-hmm. and that that's the name of your, company but how do you pronounce your last name Desjardins okay I was I was talking about it with my husband earlier and I was like I know how you'd pronounce it in France right <laughs> like with Americanized pronunciations it's Desjardins yeah <laughs> uh, yeah so Desjardins that's 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 what I would have guessed mm-hmm. so that's good to know so I'm here with Matt Desjardins um Hello. and uh so we're gonna talk about your development of your creativity and your kind of artistic identity and just sort of like what lights you up as an artist and what your kind of philosophies about art are. Let's do it. Um, so I like to start at the beginning and talk about what you were like as a creative child. Like what, what, uh, what kind of stuff were you getting into? And it doesn't have to be related to any of your current mediums. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, both sides of my family, my father's side, they're all engineers. So didn't get a whole lot of creativity like from that engineers. side. Yeah. And then my mother's side of the family is where like my creativity okay, cool. comes from. My mom was, or still currently is a big arts and crafts person. She was a professional potter for awesome. 10 years and just creates everything from wind chimes to lamps and funky little artistic thing so with her i was always uh having like some sort of art and craft around me yeah are you um do you have siblings i do i am the baby okay okay so i have an older sister and an older brother and were your older siblings like 
doing crafts too, or was it kind of more like a Matt and mom thing? Uh, it was more so like me taking it just like on my own and like watching her and then kind of doing my own thing. More invested in it mm-hmm. than maybe your siblings. Mm-hmm. Do you have, sorry, go ahead. What were you, oh, you go ahead. Do you have thoughts about like why, like what that comes from that like a, like you as a child in your family were maybe like more interested in the stuff your mom was doing? Um, I just think I have the more creative side of the brain. Yeah. Um, so I, and I also just for expression, like as a child, like it was hard for me to express, I guess, in words. So using art as a median, like to communicate. Um, do you remember like, you know, like, what do you remember about this feeling of like not being able to express things in words? Like, do you, do you remember like, you know, kind, kind of from like a first person perspective, like what you were kind of like reasoning with and kind of realizing that or or maybe not realizing but um kind of what it felt like to be kind of making the decision that creativity was like a better method um I think at an early age I just wasn't able to like I said express I don't know maybe thoughts or like my own personality and that best came through whatever I was trying to do with art it started off with like drawing and painting when I was a kid and I felt that when somebody looked at that image they actually understood the raw emotion of it or what I was trying to put into it more so than I could put into words nowadays I'm a lot I'm a much more articulate and able to explain those things well I think maybe like even I mean I I hear similar answers from so many of my guests for like obvious reasons Mm -hmm. like I mean it makes sense to me that like you know, creative expression is almost like a problem solving for us as kids. Like, you know, we, we, I, it it makes sense to me that like a totally underdeveloped brain, you know, like a child's brain would kind of feel a problem, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever that may be and find a solution. And it, it makes perfect sense that like creative mediums could be that solution. Um, but maybe more what I'm wondering, and it's fine if you don't remember, but I just, I'm so curious about like, the origins of creativity. Can you remember what it felt like to like want to express something? Cause I think there are plenty of children who just don't really have that. Like they're not maybe don't feeling a need to express. I think, uh, if this can answer your question is that I just wanted to be seen and heard for the talent that I potentially had. Yeah. And that was a, extremely important to me yeah why do you like do you know why or like have any theories um i know it's like so hard to reflect but i i'm so fascinated by it i love being challenged by these questions though because it's something i've never truly thought about I mean, most people haven't which is i mean i just i love thinking about it like like what's going on in this like what's brewing in like our little child minds that like you know sends us on these kind of different paths and like feeling like I think having the feeling as a small kid that like you have something to offer is maybe like maybe like not everybody has that experience. I think maybe as a child, I didn't feel appreciated or seen enough. Sure. And so that I believe could play into what my original creativity came into. Yeah. So it's like problem solving. Mm-hmm. Like, do you feel like that's maybe like a youngest child thing? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I'm the oldest in my family. I'm the oldest of four. And I feel like I also had a little bit of that, but maybe for the opposite reason, like 
there was so much attention like on the children. And I was like, I've been independent forever. <laughs> like mm-hmm. It's just like how my personality is. So I think from like a pretty early age, I didn't need much like in terms of, you know, reminding me to like do my little homework or practice the piano or whatever. I was really, really self-motivated from like a very early age. Um, so yeah, I think, I think I maybe also felt like, Hey, notice what's interesting about me. (laughs) Right. And maybe like the things that are interesting about me are like, I'm drawing these dragons or like writing these poems or, you know, whatever. So you started out your first kind of mediums were like painting and drawing. Is that what you Mm -hmm. said? And then especially going into middle school, my first medium that I was actually good at was charcoal. Awesome. Yeah. So I did a lot of charcoal that's like sketching. That's pretty, and, like, that's pretty artsy to be like working with charcoal as like a, like a preteen. Yeah. Did you, were you like aware of that or did it feel like just cause maybe your mom was doing stuff that like it felt normal? I think to me it like just spoke out, especially like a colorless platform Yeah. and using like more raw technique to try and really make something special instead of just flashy colors and everything going on. So I like really wanted to focus on fundamentals. when I. So it sounds like you had like this kind of motivation, like, you know, again, I talk to guests, my guests are like all mediums, which is something that I love. Like it's, I don't know, it's really interesting to like hear, um, the kind of similarities and differences, you know, as I talk to artists from all kinds of mediums, but a lot of my guests kind of talk about, feeling like they're like when they're little when they're and when I say little I mean like I don't know under the age of 15 or something like that um like maybe still children like they're not really trying to be good at something they're just kind of like I don't know I like to draw or like I play the guitar but it sounds like you were like trying to really make it a craft Mm -hmm. do you have thoughts about like where that kind of motivation comes from or kind of striving Hmm. To get a little deep here, I guess, is that I just probably needed a little bit more attention than most people did. And I felt like I needed to be the best at it to be able to be, to be able to feel that not just from others, but feel it from myself. So I've always had a bit of a perfectionist uh, mindset because if it's not perfect, then it's not good enough. For me or for anybody else. So when you were able to like achieve what you were kind of looking for, were were you able to like feel proud of that? Yeah. Yeah. Because I know sometimes people who are really perfectionist, like it never feels good. Right. But like you had an idea and you were going to work until you could execute that idea. Mm-hmm. And then you were able to like feel like bask in that a little. Yeah. Okay, good. Um, good. I I have just like a few more kind of questions about these like environmental things. Um, one is, one is whether, whether the adult in your life, like maybe including school teachers or like maybe people who aren't your parents, but also maybe your parents, if that feels important, um, were they feeling like you were like talented? Like were these kinds of things that you felt were starting to be on your like young identity? I definitely think that people, especially like art teachers and music teachers and other role models in my life when I was a kid, saw all of the potential 
and all of the talent inside of me and really did their best to, to push that. And although I didn't really feel it in myself, it was was good. Next question. Like, did you, did you agree? (laughs) I didn't. And it's something I still deal with today, especially with, you know, my creative style and like all the, whether it's uh, right now cooking or music, like it's hard to feel that inside of me, but having other people's validate it kind of helps ease my mind and realize like, okay, like I'm, I'm actually. It's so hard. I've been dealing with that. I've been thinking a lot about that kind of thing lately too. I'm, I, um, I'm kind of in the early stages of releasing my third, uh, like all original music album. And it's just fraught. It's very complicated. (laughs) Like, (laughs) Like I'm when the work is like just mine, like when I'm in the kind of like, creation phase where no one's really seeing it yet that's it's not that it's not complicated but that's usually pretty wholesome for me like like when it's just me when it's just my eyes on it yes I love it I love everything about it yeah and I'm I'm good at having like an idea and like working toward that idea and like that could be complicated but like I'm gonna I I like know I'm gonna get there and I know I'm not gonna stop until I get there and I you know, history tells me that I will get there. So like that usually feels pretty wholesome. But like as soon as I start like putting it in front of people, like, oh, it's rough stuff, man. I think I, I can I can relate to that a lot because you have an original vision and an original idea of what it is. And to you, it means everything that you're putting into it. But the whole part about art is that it's up to it's the viewers to interpret how that makes them feel. And maybe when you start seeing some people Mm -hmm. reacting, not in the exact way that that you thought they would react or been or maybe hearing something and being like, oh, I should change that. Yeah. Yeah. Or like this is probably just like my own like neuroses and like I have um I have like a complicated relationship with my parents. Like they're both kind of abusive people. And, and I think, I think as an adult and, and, and an adult who likes to problem solve, like I think a lot about like the hangovers of that, like being raised in that kind of an environment, like, you know, I feel like it's my life's work to like tease those things out of myself. Right. But I feel like I get very, I, I feel very complicated about, the art versus like how people see like me as a person and I, and I feel, and it's probably again, like a, like a paranoia, but I feel like people make assumptions about the art based on like what kind of a person they think I am Hmm. in a way that I almost just feel like it, it would be better if it was like anonymous, (laughs) like, so it could be like understood as its own thing and not, I don't know. I think I can relate to that feeling. Yeah. What it, and like, I, I've never, and I, I really do love your questions and like the way you're articulating, because it's like making me think about the way that I view my art yeah, and the way it's created and how people view it. And I never really thought of it as it being a reflection on what they might think of me. Yeah. Um, for me, it's usually like a job where I'm just like, I have to make this perfect because they're paying me for it and I need to. Yeah, have it to a standard for them, and that does reflect inside of me uh, what I'm putting on the table. Yeah, and so yeah, that is 
a very interesting thing I've never thought about yeah, before. Yeah, I think about it. I, like, obsess about it. I think about it so much. Like, like, like. I think up until you've mentioned that, it's been a subconscious thing for really? me that I haven't been able to pinpoint. What it like? What is it about for you? I mean, I know it's like a brand new thought, but like, I think for me, like a lot of it is like gender related. Maybe like, if some of my the things that I make are maybe like, like I see them as having like a more masculine energy, but I'm like clearly not giving off a masculine energy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Again, so aggressively blonde, <laughs> um, or just like you know, I come from like, like. I was raised in like such a conservative background and like, that's not at all how I feel now, but like, you know, some of those things are just, they get baked into like stupid things like your posture or like, you know, I can relate to that. Yeah. They're just are like these unconscious, like, you know, paralinguistic things that like definitely do like carry over that. I think I'm always trying to, I don't know. It always feels like a bit of a battle to me. Mm-hmm. And that's like my father's side of the family. They're all very conservative. Yeah. And so growing up and my parents split when I was younger. So I grew up with my dad, uh, me and my uh, siblings. So like growing up in the Fox News, re- yeah. like super conservative, especially like art form is not seen as appreciated. Right. And my dad, he's not an artistic person at all. Like he's, he's an engineer, so it's all mainly about that. And especially like me wanting to try and focus on those things that I really loved. He didn't really understand yeah. uh, wanting to do art or like seeing it. It's like, well, it doesn't make this amount of money, so it's not going to make you happy. I it's have like, this eh. experience as well. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I feel like going back to the, the, the creative process as a child, like that definitely played a huge role into it, especially... I just wanted to like show him. It's like, it's not about what you do with money, like how much you make. It's like, I like doing this and I just want to be seen for liking doing it. Yeah. And I I understand that feeling like exactly. mm -hmm. Yeah. That's hard. Well, and I, and I feel like it's still, it's, if you're like me, like that kind of battle, like it just persists. Like, um, I feel like for, you know, having a parents like that, it's like they, I didn't have abusive parents, but it's like trying to mentally beat it out of you being like, no, this isn't what you need to be focusing on. This is not like what you should be focusing your energy on. And it's sad because defunding art programs because they're not viewed in that way, because in our country, like the arts aren't seen as something that's valuable, Yeah, but everybody wants it. I know. (laughs) I know. I think about this so much. In fact, like just before you got here, every month I write like a, like every, at the end of every month, I look back on the episodes I released in the last month and like try to find kind of common threads and just like write an essay about like what I've been thinking about with the conversations I've been having with my guests. Just, it get, it's like a, I give myself this writing assignment once a month. <laughs> it's just like good for me. Um, but I, I was just starting that for like June mm. and, um, like, this is, I, this is like what I'm going to write about this question of just like, there are other, there are other entire other value systems. And I think that is something that artists kind of inherently understand. Like, you know, there are, there are these value systems that are based on something, you know, totally other than money. But yeah, I, I don't know if you find this, but like, I, one of the things that I do for work is like I sing in a wedding band and I'm usually performing for like 
fairly wealthy people mm-hmm. and I get like triggered, <laughs> like, which maybe you'll feel like that. <laughs> like when you're catering too. like it, it's so like, I, I feel like I like know how they see me. Right. And that's actually, you know, people, <clears throat> I, I have friends, uh, that have, I've worked with, um, that come and do service with me and, you know, I'm coming up on four years of my business now. And that's actually something that in the very beginning, I had to just create a separation in my mind because walking into these people, you know, multi-million dollar houses yeah. and they can just throw money at a private chef. And I bring, you know, some of my servers with me and they're just like, what the hell? Yeah. Like the, they're like, this makes my life feel like so small. And like looking at these, these rich families and, you know, the kind of fairy tale lives that yeah. they leave. And that's what I tell them. It's like, you know, it used to affect me that yeah. I felt like I was getting judged and almost being like in a servant yeah. like type of role. Totally. And, and, they, and they'll treat you like that. They, they which will, it but it really makes you think about, it makes me think about like racial privilege too. Like mm-hmm. it makes me feel like I maybe can understand like a small piece of what, you know, people of color feel like you can, like I, as a t- very white person, right. <laughs> like, Normally, you know, going throughout my day, if I'm not like in a situational role that gives people like what they think are some clues about like my socioeconomic status, Mm -hmm. you know, people generally treat me equally and being in that kind of environment and feeling that like very subtle, but like very obvious kind of judgment and undervaluing, I, I assume that that's like a it's just like a constant thing for people of color. I, I That is completely true, especially like in the state of Utah, where this is a, generally a sensitive subject for some people, which yeah. I'm very fortunate and proud that I grew up in North Carolina in the South and, you know, went to multicultural school or schools yeah. and having people of all walks of life, socioeconomic, racial, yeah. foreign everything. So I got to, you know, really see that firsthand and also just learn to live and love and appreciate everybody, no matter who they are. And to me, racism doesn't make sense. Like socio, like socioeconomic status doesn't make sense to me for why somebody should be treated in a certain way. Of course. And as most people can relate, it's disgusting. Yeah. And so it, that I, I can see, especially, you know, how I was saying, it's like in that servant role, it's hard not to just be seen as that. And yeah, like you want to preserve your, like, your dignity and like, and you know what it means to you. Like, you know how, like, you know, careful and thoughtful you are about the things you make and how, like, elevated mm-hmm. those things are. And to feel like you're kind of battling that like supposition that like it's not elevated it's very weird and i think you know going back to the start of this is uh when it comes into feeling judged or like being lesser than when you or when you're working for these very high wealthy people um being able to create that separation of you know that thought and feeling and being seen like that I have been able, uh, people hire me specifically for 
my food yeah. and you know, it's great, but they also more importantly hire me for my persona and who I am right. because I'm able to relate very easily to people and kind of just see through like, yeah, you have money, but you're just not better dressing. than me. Yeah. And that's yeah. something that like my business helped me really uh, like realize at an early stage of it is that like, I don't care how much money you have. I don't care who you are. As long as you treat me with respect and kindness, yeah. then that creates the connection that human beings need to understand and realize. Right. Yeah. And I fortunately have not had many clients to where I've felt talked down or seen just yeah. as uh, in that role. And I feel like on an energetic level, that's because with who I am as a person, I attract the people and yeah. the clients that see me and want me not just for food or service. They want me for who I am and yeah. just to connect. That's and for them, sometimes great. it can be like connecting with the regular Joe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I've uh, actually yeah. had like some clients, he's like, nah, like I want to hang out with you in the kitchen. Like I want to talk to you. And like, in my mind, I'm like, yeah, you probably just want to relate so to me. Bizarre. Like, bizarre, Isn't it weird? Like, like you're getting this kind of like insight into like what it is that they're like mm -hmm. i don't know but then it's like yeah i mean if you want to hang out with me in the kitchen and just like talk like i've had a client where there's a billionaire and he just wanted to talk about music he lo he loves like punk music cool but then he's also a huge wino so he's just like in the kitchen with me sharing a 300 hundred dollar bottle of wine yeah. with me the whole time and it's like okay i can see like he has a separate he realizes his privilege and like where he is at but his ability to connect and just yeah. completely let go of that, it, it, it does mean a lot. Yeah, totally. I mean, this, this thing that we're talking about right now, like, you know, my podcast is called Artifice, which I, I, I like the word, but I, but I like the idea of these kind of like layers and people or like layers in the art and the work itself and the way that kind of the nature of art lets us kind of like, meet in different planes mm -hmm. um yeah i mean that's kind of like what this whole conversation is like about for me like just these kind of weird experiences that we get to have and, and the kind of insights that they give us into like what it means to be a person and what it means to be creative it's so interesting mm -hmm. um okay let's go back a little so when you're like you know starting to be a teenager what are all the mediums that you're participating in uh, so when I was 12, I started playing music. Okay. Um, Piano, guitar. Guitar. Okay. And what actually, I'm not like the average person that learns to play guitar that wants to learn to play rock and all that type of stuff. But I had a buddy that was very talented musically. He's a bassoon player at first, and then he picked awesome. up a guitar, and he actually became a phenomenal classical guitarist. Wow. And his teacher, who was eventually became my teacher, um, was a bossa nova player. Awesome. So when I first heard that, when I was like 11 or 12 years old, I was just like, I want that. It's, it's magical. Like, I want to sound like that. Like that's what I want to play. So my degrees are in jazz studies. So that's, I also, I also feel magical about bossa nova. <laughs> yeah, it really is like, well, and I think that's also something, I mean, we don't, you know, not even specifically about jazz or bossa nova, but like, I love hearing these stories of creative people being introduced to a thing and being like, what? <laughs> like whether that's like graphic novels or, you know, a certain kind of movie mm -hmm. or, you know, whatever it may be. But that's such a precious moment of like just 
I don't know, hearing something or seeing something that you didn't know like existed and right. kind of being like, whatever that is, I need more of I it. I need more of it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I did, uh, uh, when I entering into high school, um, still continued with the charcoal work, but then started getting really into oil pastels Cool. and Vincent van Gogh is a huge inspiration of mine. And I know he was a, he was a painter, but I definitely loved impressionism and surrealism. Cool. So MC Escher and, and van Gogh were two of my biggest influences, I'd say visual arts wise. Cool. And especially like coming into cooking and my plating style is, you know, with impressionism, it's just beautiful colors and the way it flows together. And some chefs are very crisp and clean with their plating. And your plating is so beautiful. (laughs) Like I just was like scrolling on your Instagram and like every new picture I was like, Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Like it's so beautiful. I love that too. Like the kind of like flowing, like you can see it. Mm -hmm. Um, when you were a teen and you were starting to like get into this surrealism, like, um, I don't know, aesthetic, uh, were you also thinking like psychologically about it? Like, were you interested in kind of like surrealism as a concept or just visually as, as a concept? Tell me more. Um, well, I always view myself to be a strange child and teenager. And I thought a lot differently. And to be honest with you, a lot of my teachers, like they're like, you think and perceive things like years beyond your actual age. Yeah. And so when I started getting into the conceptual things of especially surrealism uh, with art, it was definitely trying to be more of an interpretation on what my mind looked like on the inside and trying yes. to visualize that. And when people would see it, I used to do these handscapes with crazy things growing in and out of cool. the hands and, uh, also like very surrealistic facial paint, like portrait paintings or cool. uh, work like that. That's and, awesome. Yeah. When you were like a teen, mm-hmm. that's so cool. Sorry, go, go ahead. But you know, I think a lot of that was just trying to interpret like my uniqueness of my brain and yeah. also going back to like wanting to be understood, which I feel like every artist needs to be like understood in some sort of way, but very psychologically, I think my surrealistic like fascination. Yeah. That's really cool. Um, how did people receive it? Like, did you feel like people saw it and were like, Oh, I understand you better. They would see it and they would be like, that is very like, they, they just be like, that is an incredible concept. And it's like that. I just like, I don't have students that just take it like that because, you know, in art in high school and everything like that, they're like, okay, like here's like like your template like, you know, do your own interpretation of it. And then I would do mine and the teacher would be like, that's not at all what I had in mind for yeah. that. But there's it's just like, you, like you that's what. You followed it, the prompt. Yeah, so, you followed yeah. the prompt. Cool. But, so I did feel very seen for like that different way of thinking, cool. especially by my teachers. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I have like one other question about that, but did we miss any mediums? So you're playing guitar, you're. Oh, and then when I was in high school, that's when I I went into culinary because I went to a private arts academy. Okay, awesome. And so I got to start working with food. Were you like interested in food as like an art form before that? Uh, I didn't really view it as an art form, but I was like getting 
hounded what are you going to do? What are you going to go to college for? What are you going to do? It's which I don't think that's a healthy thing for the school system or your parents to do. Like, I think you should just be given, just figure it out. Just figure yeah, it out. Like, I you don't need to go to college when you're like, 18 years old. Like, yes. And also like, I don't understand. Like I was just talking about this with someone the other day, but like, I do not understand why we're so obsessed with telling young people that art is not a good career. I think, I think about how many kids, say that they want to be president or say that they want to be in the NFL Mm -hmm. and nobody tells them like, that's not practical. Like no no one tells them, but like for some reason, anything that's in create like creative fields, people will tell little kids that it's not practical. Like also being an astronaut might not be practical. Like I don't understand. Like kids have big dreams about all kinds of things, but like art things are the only thing that we as a culture will tell children and teens, like, this is not really a good idea. Well, I mean, if, if you think like a proper way to approach it is like, let them embrace art because what are the type of careers that can stem from art? Like right. graphic design, um, architecture. Yeah. And that's how we think. Like, that's how we think when we, when we have kids that say they want to be a professional baseball player, we don't tell them like, oh, you can't do that. We just think like, great you're gonna figure out on your own that like not everybody gets to do that Mm -hmm. but in the meantime you're learning all these great like team working skills like we we apply that second step to everything like but the arts right which is so stupid because you're right i mean even like even nowadays like most engineers i think really benefit from creativity Mm -hmm. um you know especially like in a in a world where like innovation is kind of more and more things are automated. And that's the thing. Creativity doesn't have to just be artistic. Like course, creativity yeah. can be mechanical. It can be engineering, you know? And I mean, you can be like, I think I've talked about this with a lot of like my female guests, but like creativity can be like, it can help you be a better mom. You yeah. know, like, I mean, you can apply creativity to like it truly anything. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I, I never understand why people feel the need to like crush the creative dreams of children and teens. It's, it's capitalism and like nothing more. You know? There like, is a, a weird, I don't, I don't want to call it a weird view, but a, a realization that I kind of came to as well is that if you think about all of the creative minds and the creative geniuses in the world, they, I feel like they weren't raised by being like, yes, we're going to feed you this passion. It's like they were being told no, which made them want to do it even more. Mm-hmm. And so with these people, if like maybe if these people, so like parents or figures weren't so hard on these incredibly genius artists and telling them that they can't do it, maybe that wouldn't have been Michelangelo or maybe that would have or been Van Gogh. they would you know. be better. Maybe they would be better, yeah. <laughs> maybe they it's would just have tell. started their like brilliant journey all the earlier and Mm -hmm. like have, you know, like all of the work that they did in their twenties, they would have done in their teens or something. Right. And yeah, but you know, a lot of people too, it's like, they don't reach greatness until their late thirties into their forties. Like I love telling people it's like, you know, Samuel Jackson's first leading role didn't come until he was like 39 years old. I try to remind myself of that kind of thing. I, I try to keep like a little file in my brain of like, people who got successful like older just mm-hmm. when I'm feeling like really shitty just to kind of like remind myself and especially like with a lot of people creativity comes through you know struggles and feeling stuck 
and realizing that they've had some type of potential their entire life and they just never knew how to tap into it until some sort of life crisis or traumatic thing happens to them to where they need to change. Mm-hmm. And then, then that's when it's unlocked. Yeah. It's like they may have not even had any inspiration or aspiration or inspiration to do it at a young age. And right. so I do firmly believe that hard times creates very creative minds. You know, I always thought this too, like this was kind of the assumption or like the presumption that I had, but you know, this, this will be my like 107th episode of this podcast. And I'll tell you like the vast majority of professional creatives that I've talked to had, didn't have that kind of resistance whatsoever. Mm. So like the more people actually like my therapist listens to my podcast sometimes, yeah, and like maybe like, six months into like me running the podcast, she asked me in one of my sessions, she was like, how are you dealing with the fact that like everyone you talk to had just like very supportive parents? <laughs> and I was like, it's, I'm happy for them. Right. <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, I think for me and it sounds like for you too, like we kind of pursued creative fields, like in spite of. Yeah. I was about to say like a, a small, re- like unspoken rebellion yeah. against, you know, yeah how you were raised for sure. Like the majority of professional creatives that I've talked to in this room have told me like, yeah, my parents told me I could do whatever I wanted from the time I was as little as I remember. Right. Which is like, Oh, like maybe there just would be like way more of us if like there weren't parents like ours or something. Um, but I mean, who knows? It's probably also just like such a very specific, like confluence of personality types and like what you're exposed to as a kid. I mean, I think about even just like, I love it when I hear about people who's, who have a parent or both parents who like just craft or like hobby in creative things. Cause it just, it, it, what it means is like, first of all, it's valued in your home. And second of all, like there are supplies, like just the, the sheer fact of like having access to a piano, mm-hmm. a kiln, you know, like paints. Right. That can make a huge difference to like what you end up like doing. Yeah. And, you know, coming back uh, <clears throat> to the beginning of just like what I was exposed to as a child. And it was, it was a little weird because although my mother was a very creative and handy person and crafty person, she was pretty absent. Okay. Like, yeah. Emotionally and just not really cared like the direction I went. Yeah. But, um, like seeing her and having those things around like helped a lot, but then also for, she didn't really like create or spark like, Mm that inspiration in me and once again it's like wanting to be seen so it's yeah. like I started doing those things and it's because I related a lot more with it yeah. and like going to uh like guitar and everything yeah and you know kind of try and like not have your dream squash but like not having the proper motivation because it's like hey I really enjoy this I want to keep doing it mm-hmm. it's like yeah I took bossa nova uh from my guitar teacher his name is john fire sheets which That's is like an stuff. amazing name. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and he was a super cool dude. He's like all tatted up and just like had the craziest life stories. And, um, but eventually she was just like, yeah, I just don't feel like paying for this anymore. And like, it's cause it's not going to benefit you like later on. And I was just like, like, uh, what, like what type of decision is that? Like, I yeah. obviously enjoy it. Like, why don't you just let me keep uh, doing it? Yes. Oh my gosh. I'm so sorry. Oh yeah. But then like, you know, 
years later as I was an adult and I'd go over there and play guitar for her, she'd be like, oh my God, like you're so amazing now. I'm like, yeah. Yeah, maybe I, I you could have, yeah. <laughs> Dude. So, I mean, that, but it also put, you know, the ball in my own hands. Yeah. It, it's like I wanted to learn this. So it's like then I sunk, like sought out the friends and yeah. people that were into it that were more supportive of me growing as a person and as an artist. And so I created like a very close relationship with friends over yeah. families in my young adulthood because it's like you guys okay. see me and you guys want me to be good at these things. I do personally relate to that so much. Well, and even just like what you were saying before, like as much as my other guests like have not borne this out, like I also felt like I that kind of stuff wasn't supported and it was almost like a fuck you for me. Mm -hmm. Like I am going to do it. <laughs> like it's what I love. And like it, it really fired me up. Like the lack of support, you know, I'm not like grateful for it. Cause mostly it really sucked and continues to like plague me. But in terms of like motivation, I, I, and I'm sure you're the same way. Like I really did just have to decide and that I was going to invest in myself because no one else was going to. And I had to like get scrappy about that and get mm -hmm. very determined. And I think having had, having had to make that firm decision where maybe like a lot of people can enter these kinds of decisions in a real, <clears throat> the world is my oyster. I have like every possibility. Right. Like I think having made like this firm decision, like I'm going to pursue creativity. It, made me have a little bit more like chutzpah in college maybe like and maybe just permanently yeah <laughs> like, but who knows that my i might have just been like that because that's i kind of have a stubborn personality so who knows <laughs> well i mean i feel like we relate very like very similarly and i don't have a stubborn personality yeah. so i mean okay. i feel like it's definitely like grown-up conditioning yeah. and just what you received from your parents and then but the thing is like i said a couple minutes ago it's like i started creating these closer connections and um with my friends and chose to focus more on that because for a while they they were my they, in my eyes they were my family, family. Yeah. and i got all the support that i needed from that yeah. and that's great mm -hmm. that's awesome how old were you when you kind of like realized that um probably like 18 or 19 wow I feel like I'm just starting to like figure that out like now and it, it feels like uh, I my mom died a couple of years ago and I went uh, no contact with my dad like a little over a year ago. Um, yeah. And I feel like I feel like I spent all of my 20s like trying so hard to like like I was putting so much energy into those relationships trying to get them to work. And, uh, and now I'm trying to kind of figure out like what does it mean to like choose family and like, you know be more open to like just the easy, like the easiness of relationships that are, can be easy. Right. You know? And, and you know, I'm, it, it's, it's not up to us when we start to go through these things and when we start to realize it. And I, I actually am very fortunate that I was fairly younger. Um, I mean, I'm not old, so this is more like seven, six, seven years ago to where mm -hmm. I realized that what was important to me was not important to my parents. And I had to make that decision of just cutting it. Like what I've had a period where I didn't, my dad and I didn't speak yeah. and my mom and I still don't really talk a whole lot, but there came a point where I was just like, you know what? Like, thank you for 
everything you've done for me, but you don't see me and you don't think, I don't think you ever have. Yeah. So I'm just going to kind of go do my own thing I for a while. That feeling. That's, it's heartbreaking. And it's a heartbreaking feeling. Fortunately, like they saw that and respected that. Mm. And, you know, over the past several years, like the relationships with my parents has become so much healthier and cleaner that, you know, I was expected to be like in school and be an engineer and blah, 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 all this stuff. And then once my, especially my dad, like started working, he retired and he like started working with people my age that were doing the whole van life thing and all Mm -hmm. the whole adventure thing. And, and like just living life by the seat of your pants type deal. And he started to see that and recognize how great and magical that can be. Yeah. It's like, yeah. you don't have to be 25 like and a whole different rubric. Like, <laughs> like and I'm are, fortunate that to, yeah. in today's age, like that's becoming a standard. That's becoming like a accepted form of life yeah. because it's really great. You don't have to be 25 and know what you're doing. Yeah. You don't have to be 30 and know what you're doing. You totally just have agree. to live and it all will come together eventually. Yeah. And I feel like that's, you know, healthier for the soul and spirit people shouldn't be working nine to five in my opinion their entire life and going into like huge debts and not even using those degrees. And then just like being 40 and being like, what the hell did I do with my life? Totally, totally. Yeah. I totally agree. It's like, I I may, I may never retire and that's okay. But you know, at least I lived the life I I'm living the life I want to with the youth that I still have. Because I don't want to work for retirement. People are like, oh, when I retire, I'm finally going to go live my life. It's like, I know. I think about this all the time, too. I like, and I think about it on both ends. Like, I, my, my fam, my, I have a sister who's uh, turning 20 next week. And she and I were talking the other day, and she was saying something to me about how she wants to, like, just have all these experiences, like, before she settles down. And I just feel like, why does it need to be like a, like, why are you thinking about it like that? Right. It seems like really like just, just let it happen. I will say like, I do think it's a little bit more complicated for women because of like fertility. Absolutely. That, that is something that like women have to deal with. That's like a pretty big, scary deadline, you know? Right. Um, and I mean, I can't, obviously I can't relate to that, but I, am a very sympathetic and empathetic person. Yeah. And that is a hard thing to, to, to deal with. And it's something you have to decide. It's like, is this something I really, really, really want? Yeah. Or is it your body and like coming, becoming older? It's like you start, some women start to like panic and they're just yeah. like, I need to, I need to do this. It's kind of a scary thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the thing is, you know, especially with children, I feel like it's a experience that every parent says, like, you don't know what it's like until you have one. Totally. And that's great. I don't have kids, but so yeah, tell you. Yeah, me <laughs> neither. I, I came close, but uh didn't didn't happen. Um but uh and especially like you know, my ex we were about to have one and she miscarried. I'm sorry. So it but it, it was sad. But the thing is, um it it opened my eyes up to the possibility of like wanting to do that. And like yeah. the feeling that it can create. And, mm. but the thing is a lot of people need to understand is that you don't need to have a child to live a fulfilled life. I think that's something that 
I personally have a lot of hope that like our generation and the generation, you know, younger than us will realize mm-hmm. in a different way. Like there are other ways to be fulfilled. And I've had a lot of female artists sit in this chair and talk about how they feel like, you know, motherhood is creative energy and art is creative energy. And, you know, like feeling like, you know, obviously, you know, your paintings are not literally a baby. Right. But, but you know, feeling like there is fulfillment, like they feel that fulfillment in their, in their making in making the things that they make Mm -hmm. and and i feel like that plus like i personally um i teach and i love i love that and i was i was talking to one of my students this week and she's a teen and um she was just kind of like saying that she values like our time like she values me as a teacher and i just i feel like i wouldn't quite have as much to give to my students if i had my own children it's true which is you know i mean we like it's just like we're saying like there are options like right there are many ways to like be like a happy fulfilled productive person even you know or a person who's like a a vibrant member of a community like mm-hmm. it's not like we need to be like in a nine to five or in a van <laughs> like, right you know you don't you don't, you don't have, have to, to have be, kids you don't you don't have yeah. to not you know yeah. it's and there's plenty, there's plenty of, there's plenty of in between of like, yeah, anyway. Um, okay. I would love to hear how you like, you know, as you approached like 18 and maybe kind of feeling like, do I need to decide to go to college? Like what, what kind of decisions were you making at that time? And then just like, what did you do? <laughs> what happened? So, um, I'll try to make this part of the story a little quicker. Great. My mother, she actually, she was a personal trainer when we were kids. And so she had a business called fit to eat because her clients were mainly older clients and they were asking, you know, what do we eat? So she was like, I'm just going to create a home meal delivery service and do it. So it's like, I did get to, I I cooked from, and you know, in the house, her getting her free labor out of her kids, stirring the big pot, you know, with me on the, on the, on the stool and everything. So it's like, I did start to understand the connection level of not just like artistically, but like what it means to feed other people. So I feel like that's why I wanted to start doing culinary like in high school and like get a jump start on it. And then when I came to graduate my culinary teacher, he was just like, don't do it. He's like, not not like don't be a chef, but he was like, don't go to culinary school. And I was like, why? why? And he's like, you're going to, go pay 80 grand to make $22,000 a year. Yeah. He's like, it's not realistic. And a lot of people do it and then they wind up not even wanting to do it. So he's like, go work in high end restaurants and see number one, can you mentally handle it? Yeah. It's a very rigorous and mentally exhausting uh, field, which people don't realize. Some people are like, oh, you're a chef. That must be fun. It's like, no, try it's stress. Very complicated. Try a very stressful job. Yeah. Like, um, I mean, I don't, I cook as a hobbyist. Mm-hmm. And I, the thing that I love is like creating menus and making like multiple dishes. Oh, that's the fun part. That's what I love. I mean, I'm like very, I don't know anything, but I mean, I like the idea of it and I like doing it. Like a couple of times I've been like assigned to like do Thanksgiving for the whole family. Right. And it's like the problem solving of it. Just like, but what I was going to say is like, 
even with that, like I'm cooking for, you know, 10 people maybe. Right. <laughs> like even just the logistics of that is so overwhelming. I can't even imagine trying to like run a restaurant with, I don't know. It's it. So I, I don't know why anybody would think it was easy. Oh uh, yeah. I mean, then that's fun like, or relaxed and that's, uh, that's arts in general. People are yeah. like, Oh, that must be nice to be a musician. That must be nice to be a chef. That must be nice to be a painter. And it's like, you have no, they, they, the people that have never been in that field or don't understand it, they will never understand. Yeah. Like, because that's an, that's an artifice too. Right. It's yeah. another one of those examples <laughs> of like, mm, it's not what you think. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you know, like I have a hundred, 120 person wedding at the end of July. People are just like, they're like, how, like, I can't even begin to think on how you start to do that. Yeah. Crazy. But you know, the fun part of it is like before you actually start getting into like the physical work of it, the fun and the flow of the creativity of writing menus. Yeah. It, it's, it's really great because you get to interpret yourself and kind of develop a feel and a flow yeah. that, people really love and enjoy yeah. and but yeah the hard part of it is execution yeah so, <laughs> yeah it, it's like it's crazy yeah writing the song yeah that's hard and you know you're putting your heart and soul to it but like going and executing it live for the first time or like releasing your album for the first time it's it's stressful and it's oh there's more moving parts than i think anybody could could even understand and occasionally i have people ask me questions like like I'm not going to be able to think of an example, but you know, a student or a, like a, a fan who's kind of like a, a, a fledgling musician will ask me a question about how I did something that like, even simply in the asking of the question, there are so many assumptions that are like, I just have to be like, no, <laughs> like, right. this is not even a question I can answer because like, the thing you're thinking about how this happened is so wrong. Like let's, let's go like eight steps back. Right. And that's like where this started. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. Crazy. That's the thing about an artist's brain. It's just like, where'd you get the inspiration from it? It's like, yeah, eight, 10, 12 steps back. It wasn't even related to the finished product. Oh my gosh. I love it. (laughs) I, I record sometimes I record my songwriting sometimes Um, mostly so that if I have, if I have an idea that I kind of forgot, I can like go back to it. Um, so I do it so that I can stay really present and not have it to write everything down. Um, but sometimes like, as I'm looking back through my files at the end, just to like, make sure that I didn't, I'm not deleting anything that I don't want to delete. I'll hear something and be like, what is this? Like, what was I doing? And then if I click on the tracks, like around it, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is the beginning of like this song. And it's, it's crazy. It feels mm-hmm. like this isn't related at all. But like when you listen to like all the tracks around it, it's like, oh, that's right. That's how that got there. Right. <laughs> so weird. I do love that. So what did you end up doing? And and I, I want to also uh, ask if you, if you considered visual art, like if you considered like going to school or pursuing. Painting. No, okay. no, I, I kind of knew in my, in my heart that, that, it was just a form of expression for myself cool. and only mainly for myself. You don't and want to mix that stuff up with money too much. No. And so I, and it was just, I, especially I just had to do what I was given, um, or like, you know, do the, the art forms that I was given, but I was just like, yeah, I don't see myself painting or doing anything visual. It's like, I, but I did, I was like, I need to work with my hands. 
Yeah. It's like, I can't sit at a desk. I can't do the whole, you know, I said nine to five thing. I can't like, look, stare at a computer screen for, for nine hours. Um, but I was like, I need to be on my feet. I need to be working with my hands and it has to be something creative. And so, you know, brainstorming when I was in high school, I was just like, I mean, I love food. And I was like, it's an art form of many different things. And one thing I love about cooking in general, it's like some people, I had a chef explain this to me. He's like, cooking is the only, one of the few art forms that appeals to all five senses yeah. all at the same time. Yeah. So it's the smell, the, the, the sound of hearing the food being made or the chopping mm. and then like the visual aspect of it, the taste and yeah. The feel, the texture. I you think know. food is incredible. Like <laughs> I've been very like moved by and like impressed by food mm-hmm. from a young age. And when I started this podcast, like I like one of the first things I thought is like, I need to talk to as many chefs as possible because <laughs> like it, it is like it's it's magical. And like also it's ephemeral in this way. Like it, it can't last like, right. you know, and then like your consumers are going to literally consume it, which is like such an interesting premise. Like, And I, I also know. had another chef explain to me, we were opening up this restaurant, um, which this was like literally a food network, open a restaurant in three days, like type of scenario. Oh like I, it was insane how quickly we did it. But like in our, uh, oh, what's that called? orientation like right before we started he's just like listen this is our like aspect of food is that it is the most intimate thing that you could do for a complete stranger without them even knowing about it because he's like you're taking food that somebody grew with their hands and picked from the dirt and brought it to the grocery store brought it to you and then you are then crafting it in a way and the energy that you put into the food is extremely important so he was like, no angry chefs in here. Yeah. He's like, sorry. Like if you're an angry person, like we don't want that energy going into the food. Wow. And then from that point, you're developing it into a craft and art that somebody's using to nourish their body, not just physically nourishing it, but like mentally nourishing it yeah. and them seeing it and like having that connection with the people around them. And the beautiful and sad part about this is, is that they don't even know the person that's making the yeah, food. they'll never know. Yeah. So I that's think crazy. I think it's beautiful and it's a tragedy at the same time. Yeah. Because well, I, I imagine being a private chef mitigates that a bit. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Because they do know you're and you're in their home, which is something I wanted to ask you about. Like that's very intimate. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe before we talk about that, how old are you? Twenty nine. Okay, so let's talk about like I'd love to kind of like separate it into two like your kind of education. I mean, everything before you started your business. Right. And then, so like, just what did you, I want to know, like, so my chef, he would kind of what you learned. So my chef, he was just like, you can go work in restaurants and get the same exact information and knowledge and education, which is the beautiful thing about the arts field. Any arts field is that you don't have to go to school for it. You can learn everything from world experiences. Yeah. So he was like, first off, go in and see if you even want to do this because yeah. it's rigorous. And then, you know, then make your career path decision from there. So it's like started off right out of high school. I worked at this deli in Greensboro, North Carolina. And then from there, I went to like nicer restaurants and like 
it's like, okay, like I got the nitty gritty part, like the hours, the heat, the, the stress of it. And it's like, okay, I, I want to continue with this. And then I was like, I want to start doing better and nicer food. So I just slowly started just working two restaurants at the same time so I can learn different techniques and different cuisines and then just kept moving. And then eventually I got to the part that my chef was talking about where I was like a sous chef and then I was getting burnt out and, uh, it's just not a healthy thing. So I was, it's, I I was just like, screw this. I don't want to do this anymore. Like it's extremely stressful and the pay isn't worth it. And the whole thing about like people not seeing like, yeah, I'm the one doing this for you and you don't even care. Like they, Mm. like you don't even know who I am. So that, that kind of played into me like wanting to get out of it, which is why I went into audio engineering. Okay. Because I just needed some other type of art form or helping other people with their art uh, to do that career path. How old were you when you did, when you like made that decision? 24. Okay. Just 24. And sorry, did you go to, you, did you go to school? Did you get like formal training? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. There was a, a place in Sally called Bo that I did. Um, okay. It was just like a little private, small um, heard like a weird little click, so I just want to make sure nothing weird's going on. Okay, but please keep please keep telling me. Um, so I went to school for that formally. Um, How did you make that particular decision? Like, I'm I'm hearing you that like you had to do something, but yeah, how did you kind of decide that in specific? So back in North Carolina, um, you know, music has been a huge part of my life. Uh, whether I, I don't. I, I've done performances, but it was like more of like a self thing. Consuming. Yeah. yeah. I feel like c- the creativity, the creative act of like consuming thoughtfully is like a very undervalued, mm-hmm. like I want to talk about that more and like I totally value it. So, right. Yeah. So I loved what live music did to me and the way it made me feel. And I loved the connection of everybody. And like, you know, we talked a bit about race and socioeconomic status. And it's like, man, when you're at a a show and there's 500 people dancing and just smiling and laughing and not thinking about anything else and just being fully present in the moment, that is extremely beautiful to me. So I, I, when I started getting burnt out, I was like, I, I, I've been to so much live music, so many concerts I've, you know, perform on stage and, I was like, I want to be a part of this. And I don't think as a musician, I can do that, not because of my talent or like my ability in it, but it's like, I don't want to be the same problem. Yeah, I was like, I need to make some more money than being a traveling musician or like, so I was like, how do I, you know, be a part of this magical thing of music and make a career out of it? So, you know, I then was just like, you know, audio engineering. Like whether it's recording technician or a live audio technician. Um, So that was the connection I wanted to be. It's like, I just wanted to like create, help create that experience for people. And for how long, for how many years was that like your main focus? I'd say three years. Okay. What, um, what do you want to, do you want to say anything about like what you learned? What it kind of like did for you? So, uh, just like simple recording and just doing, uh, EQ and I mean like mixing. In, I mean like oh, in your soul. In my soul. Yeah. Like <laughs> what did you learn? Like <laughs> um, what did you learn thank about? Thank you for like, specifying yeah. that. 
Um, it definitely made me feel more in touch and helped me define what a career path meant to me. And especially like the connection that I have with people. Yeah. That was what it made me feel like because then I could provide experiences for people that would just make them happy and exuberant and all these things. And that in itself made me very happy. Do you feel like, like that experience combined with like the previous years, like it was like a combining of those feelings that led you to like where you are now? Like how, how do you see this like in the trajectory? Like, does it feel like a diversion or does it feel like. It felt like getting reborn and honestly, like a huge stress relief for me because like I said, the stress of the kitchen made me feel disconnected from the art form. Sure. And so you remembered that connection and mm-hmm. then were able to kind of like put the pieces back together with food. Yeah. And, okay. and so when I, I didn't finish my audio program and there's a reason like the school was scandalous. Those things are often, yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Th- those things are frequently really sketchy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, although, and like I was still like having this passion for food and I still loved cooking it and I still loved, you know, doing it for my friends and family. And, when I was in audio, you know, I felt very good about what I was doing. Wasn't supported by my dad for it for a while. Um, so that was hard. That was another aspect like reawakening, just being like, uh, like, why can't you just support me? What I want to do. But, um, then, uh, I, I, my school screwed me over. They wound up like embezzling money from like a bunch of students. So they wound up closing down. And so I was just sitting there. I was like, well, I could go to UVU and finish or, but one thing is I started getting a creative spark again. Yeah. Um, because when I was working at guitar center and I was in school, a lot of times at guitar center, you don't actually work going on. You, You sit there on YouTube and watch videos and do whatever. And so I would sit there. Iron chef is probably one of my favorite cooking shows because it's just like instantaneous creation. Yeah. It's like you get shown the ingredient, your main ingredient, and you have to create a five-course meal. And then you have to cook it in an hour. Yeah. Like crazy. So I've always loved that show, even when I was, you know, back uh, in high school. And I would just sit there for hours and just watch Iron Chef. And it really made me like refire that passion up inside of me. So also when I was in the culinary program in high school, my buddy and I, we would uh, throw fancy dinner parties for our friends. So it. we would all get yeah. up in like our prom tuxedos and <laughs> That's like. That's my favorite thing I've ever heard. Get somebody to buy us some wine so that we could yeah. do it. And then like or one of our parents would like let us do it at the house. And um, wow. So that was actually something in my mind as going into being a chef that I wanted to do. Cause I loved that intimate setting. Yeah. I love touching and connecting with people. Dinner parties are like my favorite, mm-hmm. like social activity. Mm-hmm. Like there is nothing better than a dinner party in someone's home. Like right. there's, there's nothing better. Brunch is also great. Brunch is also great. <laughs> love me some brunch. Um, That's but, great. It's like a little vision. So like doing what I'm doing now and it's like we got to create the we we would do like, you know, 
a seafood ravioli with like black squid ink pasta and like all these cool things that we were learning uh, actively in our culinary program. And I was just like, I love the creativity flow of it. I love the connection of people and the experience of it. And it's, I, I love the experiences that make us present like that. And definitely like doing that for people makes me fully present, which is something I have difficulty with outside of uh, any art form. I really relate to that as well. And so when I was uh, then going through the transition of going at coming out of uh, audio school and I was just watching, you know, Iron Chef, I was just like, I want to do this do this, and I want to do it in people's homes. Because honestly, when I was 17, 18, I was like, I think I want to be a private chef. Like yeah. that would be super cool. Don't know how about going about it. Yeah. But, um, so I was also serving at the time and I just kind of had this moment of like, it's time for me to do something yeah. with my creativity. It's time for me to do something that is meaningful and important to me. And to me, that was, I'm going to start my own private chef company That's because, awesome. yeah. And so that was like five years ago now. 2017, November. Okay. November cool. 21st, 2017 Amazing. was my very first dinner. That's so cool. Okay. I want to hear all about that, but I have maybe like one more question. Yeah. So as I was looking through your Instagram, one thing I was impressed by is like you, I mean, you do everything. Um, you're like baking beautiful things, mm -hmm. including like I was really mouthwatering over your keto muffins. Oh yeah. Um, and then you're doing like, um, like pho and like, you know, so I, I, I'm curious, like, especially not being in like a formal school, how did you like kind of set the intention that you want to learn like all those things? Like, how were you kind of like, you know, like, how are you thinking about, you know, how you value like this, uh, versatility and variety and like kind of going out with a, like, you know, with a mission right. to like uh, get those skills. And that's the thing, like most chefs, they just want it. They, they pick a, a style, they pick a cuisine and they master that. And yeah. that's totally fine. That's great. Yeah. Um, but you know, going back to earlier in our conversation where, in Greensboro, North Carolina, it is a very culturally diverse yeah. place. So it's like I grew up eating authentic pho. I eat up. I, I grew up eating authentic Jamaican food yeah. and Middle Eastern food, and because we have people from all over the world there. And the reason why that is is because North Carolina is one of the largest medical school states in the country. Okay. Okay. So people come from other yeah. nations to go to medical schools. Cool. So big cultural diversity there. And I was just like, I don't want to be that bland one, one face, one type yeah. of artist or chef. I want to be able to paint with all the colors. I, I want to like my palette to go above and beyond. And it's challenging learning all of these different cuisines yeah. and, 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 um, trying to figure out what I wanted to do. But you know, that's also the reason why when I was working in restaurants, I went to different style of cuisines of restaurants. Cause I was like, yeah, French cooking, it's butter and white wine. That's all it is. It's, it feels apparent. I, I just like want to say one more thing before like you talk more, but it feels, it feels like obvious to me, like just talking to you, but also just look like looking at what you've written and just like spying on you a little bit. It feels obvious to me that you're intentional about these things, mm -hmm. but I think it could be the kind of thing that like someone might just assume like a either 
everybody knows how to do all these things or be like, he figured these things out, you know, by accident or by chance, like it just happened. And I, I'd love to like, just hear you reflect on like, I mean, you're already kind of doing it, but maybe I just, I'd love for you to be even like more explicit if you want to about like what you feel like these kind of like, you know, what diversity like means, like why it's valuable. And one, one more like little thing, my kind of like ultimate premise for this podcast is I think because I was raised by non-creative people, I'm obsessed with this idea, but I really believe that creativity, you know, as it happens in the arts, as it happens outside of the arts is, is a great like tool where we can practice these kind of like broader human lessons of like, how do we understand each other? How do we have empathy? How do we like learn to see from someone else's perspective or try to, and I get the sense that like you're a person who values those things like I do or more even like, I don't know. I mean, I'd like to value them as much as possible, but yeah, I'd love to just like give you permission to like talk about all of that. So, um, I, I, I totally can relate and understand your question now. Yeah. Um, yeah, I wanted to kind of give you some more context. a, A reason why I love so much diversity in my food is because I'm a lover of all cultures. I think foreign cultures are absolutely fascinating to me. Their, their social background, their, what like religious, their, what their religion's like, their, where like the food and the ingredients from those places, the people that create it and what their, uh, you know, view and perspective on cooking is. So when I want to create all these different cuisines for people, it's me wanting to open up people to all of the other cultures in the world. Yeah. And it's just like, you know, cooking, in Mexico has a totally different meaning and feel to cooking in Japan. And so for me, it's a bridge because in America, the food is just so like, and most oftentimes just muddled and just like mixed with this and that, like nobody cooks the real authentic thing anymore. And people don't understand the place that these foods came from. So it's definitely a connection of, wanting people to explore and become more culturally aware that there's a world outside of the United States. Yeah. And it, and it, am I hearing you right? That like, it matters how you do it. Like Mm -hmm. you can't approach these recipes or these dishes from the outside in. You have to understand them like from the inside, like, like what does it mean to cook this in that place? Mm -hmm. Um, and try to kind of like honor and respect that. Like when you, when you're making it right, like it, it means not like just looking up a recipe on Pinterest. Like right. it means like, yeah, I feel the same way about music. Like I'm really interested in like ethnomusicology and you know, yeah, you, we can't understand these things from the outside in and then, you know, it's appropriative as well. Um, but, but the, the bridge building that you miss when you try to approach something from the outside in, it's a, is a tragedy, right. you know, and, and understanding, I mean, I'm just articulating this like a second time, like, cause I think, you know, for the listeners, like, this is where it's important. Like this is the, this is all of it of like, you know, taking the time to like go, 
to go inside another perspective. And if you don't know how to do that in just like a one-to-one with another person, Mm -hmm. like, you know, food is maybe like a beautiful way to like, just get a little hint. Music is maybe like a beautiful way to get a little hint. Like textiles, fashion, like there are so many things. I really do love like your view and perspective, especially with this podcast. It's just like what, like changing people's perspectives on what these things mean, because like there are things that are music and food and art are the things that we see and hear and feel every single day without people having the real appreciation for it. And change, trying to change their perspective on it is, I think, a very important thing. And I think it's absolutely wonderful because... And, yeah. and it equals changing your perspective on people. Like, I think it's kind of like if you can do one, you're going to automatically do the other, I, I think. Mm-hmm. But it's hard to talk about people. I mean, it, it's it, not for me, probably not for you. But, <laughs> you know, I, I understand that, like, you know, these kind of, like, hot topics are are fraught and complicated in a way that like maybe art doesn't quite need to be. So, you know, it, it feels like a bridge. Like it feels like, I love that you said that it's like, if you feel like you don't know how to talk to another person, like go to this like middle point of like something that you can both understand. And that's the beautiful thing. Art is a language that everybody understands. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, especially with, you know, different music around the world. That's something that, you know, when I was in school had to take, you know, world music classes because yeah. before I found my audience school, I went to just for music theory to uh, slick and Weber state. Cool. So learning about music culture around the world may also really help me start bridging that gap because yeah. it's a language that everybody understands. Yeah. You don't have to know the words. You don't have to totally, you don't have to know the ingredients of the food. You don't have to know where, you know, the the color that people are using. But it's a communication that is most oftentimes nonverbal. Right. And right. a lot of... Back to the very beginning of the conversation. Of right. These kind of like nonverbal expressions can be really powerful. Sorry, what were you saying? Because... Uh, uh, a tragic thing is that most of our communication verbally is interpreted in a different way than it's actually being heard or said. So although this is how we understand each other by using our words, it's honestly like one of the most misleading and confusing ways of communication. Like what's it? 70% of communication is body language. Yeah. And like, well, even just the words, like, I mean, this is something I think about so much. Like, I had a teacher early on. I mean, I was probably still in high school that was talking about how was talking about like the, the theme of jaws, this like half step motion and that it kind of gets faster and this like produces anxiety, which makes like perfect sense. Cause like this half step is anxiety. Like this, this half step feels anxious to Western ears. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like, you know, but, th- but my teacher said like, it's important to remember though, that like, in other cultures, like this half step motion, like would feel a totally different way. And I just remember thinking like that this was a brand new idea to me at that time that like this same thing that feels like a really specific way to me, like just, it's a totally different thing to someone else. And I think even like actual words are like that. Like how does your family culture use these words? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't know, like even with 
even without body language or even with body language, rather, like there's so much that can be lost. So I think that's why, like when we're talking about art, because it's this like, like I think as a premise, we think that words have one meaning. Mm -hmm. They don't. But I think as a premise, we think they do. Words are the most confusing thing. And I think as a premise, we kind of understand that art has multiple meanings. Like, I I think that's something that's like built into, you know, I don't know. We kind of get that. So if we can, if we can understand art better and learn how to see these like multiple layers and like the ways that things can be misunderstood or can be understood in six different ways. Mm -hmm. um, If we work that muscle and work like that kind of perspective building, paradigm shifting, like three-dimensional kind of, you know, depth of understanding, we're going to naturally like use that muscle when we're, when we're having conversations with words. Right. And we're going to like naturally use that muscle when we're just beholding people because body language is also like culturally uh, distinct and not even just across, you know, different like broad cultures, but like in family cultures, like, you know what that little like eyebrow movement means from your mom, (laughs) you know, like your siblings know, exactly, and probably like her siblings know, you know, anyway. Um, did you want to say anything else about like, just, you know, do you want to, do you want to say anything else about like why, um, appreciating diversity is like an, an important value for you? Oh, it's, it's something that I completely understand and I love cultural diversity. And the problem is with all the hate going on in the world, it just doesn't make sense to me how, how somebody can hate somebody of another race or religion without even meeting anybody from that race or religion. Yeah, It's, it's total ignorance. It's total fear, fear. You know, and I, it's something that just needs to be shown to the world. And mm-hmm. some people that like live in their little white hometowns that never leave that area. And then they have an opinion about Muslims or black people yeah. or anybody of color or different religion than them. And it's just fear. And mm-hmm. I feel like if people were forced to go you know, experience other parts of the world as a requirement. it's like, yeah, when we graduate high school, it's like, why don't you send these people to Africa or China or anywhere, anywhere around the world so that then they can get the perspective of number one, being in America, you're very privileged. Yeah. It's a first world country. Yeah. Like you have no idea the struggles that people go through in these other parts of the world and like their culture and what that means to them. Totally. And like also on the flip side, like, the fact that we do something this way in America, like doesn't mean it's the best. <laughs> like, no. I mean, yes, we're very privileged and also like have one of the highest like, uh, infant mortality rates, like in the developed world. Right. Like people forget that part too. Like, like so much privilege compared to a lot of other places and also like really pretty shitty things compared to certain places. And like, I feel like understanding, like, like having, having gratitude for what we have and also having humility for the fact that like we don't have everything figured out. Like, I feel like those are both 
lessons that I would like to see more Americans learn. Right. And like there are people in other places who have better ideas and who have, um, who have figured things out that it would behoove us to learn. Right. (laughs) Like, like like the privilege doesn't mean that we have no more like learning to do. Right. That there isn't like, there aren't better solutions. And even like some of these better solutions, like in terms of like, you know, morality or like social, social contracts, like some of those better solutions might come from the most underdeveloped places. Well, and you know, an interesting thing that I I can't remember the article that I read about it, but it's just the link between, um, mental disorders in first world countries. Yeah. If you go to a third world country and a tribe and you ask them, it's like, do you know what depression is? They would be like, right. I, I don't. Right. They, they don't understand the concept of that. They don't understand yeah. the concept of like bipolar disorder because like as a tribe or whatever, like in, this is more common in third world countries where it's like they go through so many hardships where like they don't have to think about their body image. Dread. They, yeah. yeah. It's like we're here in the United States or like most first world countries, like we're more prone to these mental illnesses because we have social media and we have all these privileges pre- presented to us. And we're like, this makes our life better. Yeah. yeah. But does it? Right. It's it's more about your happiness and it's more about your mental stability than it is about how much money you make or if you're good enough to go do this out in the world. It's like, I wish more people would understand that it's about community love yeah. instead of individual success. Right. That's, I feel like that's also another of these like artifice things of like, you can look at this person and or look at this group and feel like, I mean... I feel bad for these people and also, but then maybe you should realize like they're happier than me. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. Or not. And not that it's a binary. I think my whole point is it's not like, right. Um, it's, you know, there's like nuance to be had in all things, which again is the point. Okay. What would you like to say about your experience with your business? Or like, just what do you want to, maybe I'd like to say, ask this more specifically. Okay. What do you want to tell us? that is like special about like what you do? I mean, uh, nothing that we haven't touched on already. It's the intimacy, it's the connection, it's the cultural diversity. And like the, the, it really helps humble me a lot more, especially working for these ultra rich, wealthy people. Yeah. Like it makes me humble um, and be happier with where I am at in life. And that's like how I told you something yeah. that I had to really get over really quickly um, at the beginning of my business, walking into these people's homes yeah. and it's like, you guys don't even know what the real world is like. Yeah, <laughs> you right. never have, yeah. and you probably never will. Yeah. And, but that humbles me because it gives me experiences, you know, and makes me love and appreciate my life a lot more. Yeah. Um, it's that same thing again. Like you can look at that and know the things that you have that like, maybe those people don't have in the same way. Mm-hmm. I will say one thing I've definitely loved. I've used to be a very anxious person, uh, not very confident. And the thing since I've started my business is it has completely changed who I am and being more confident and understanding what I deserve as a person and as an artist. Cool. Because the whole thing where, you know, we're going to pay this, this musician 50 bucks to come and play a show. And it's just like, well, they accept that because like that's the standard. And for me, it's like, I've had to like really step in and just be like confident and really just say like, no, I am worth this. Yeah. 
this is who I am. I, I mean, I guess shouldn't ask like, do you believe it? But like, rather, how are you able to like, let that kind of sink in of like, I do, I do deserve this. Cause I feel like it might be a slightly different thing to like set prices mm-hmm. and then maybe kind of feel like icky and apologetic about it. But like, how, how do you like, let it feel true? Uh, it was really hard at first. I, 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 and also coming in to being an artist of any form, you kind of, uh, you know, you'll love your art and you'll be like, this needs to be valued at this. And then sometimes you're unsure of yourself to where it's just like, you don't feel good. Yeah charging something or you don't feel yeah, like I, w- I wish it could be free. Right. <laughs> like, can it just be free? And like, I just have money somehow. Right. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Like I want, I feel like I want to just give it to everyone. Right. Yeah. And that's how I feel too. Yeah. And, um, but it, it, it reiterate the question. Again. I'm wondering if you, if you can articulate and it's fine if you, if, if you can't, but like if there was, if you had like a strategy for how you kind of like taught yourself to like, or if you have advice or, you know, inside of how you can kind of like let that confidence seep in and really, really so, feel it. Fortunately at the time um, I was with my ex and she was a huge motivator and helping me realize how great I was and oh, how really good beautiful. my skill I had. And so like when I first started my business, I was extremely unsure. So I had like a whole lot of love and support from this person to. I love that you can still like feel that even though you're like not together anymore. Oh yeah. We're, we're fortunately all the things ended. We're, we're friends now That's and great. It, it ended very amicably. Amicably. Uh. amicably. Yeah, <laughs> I got you. I'll just let you say it. Um, and it like, she really helped me like, realize my value especially like coming with the pricing and everything she'd be like screw that no like you're worth more than that and so having somebody else like really guide me and make me believe that in myself yeah cool definitely made me a lot more confident and just awesome um is there anything or okay i want I'd, i'd love for you to talk about like some more specific foods just to kind of like yeah I don't know, like give us a little, like something to dream about. Mm -hmm. So you could maybe either like tell about like a favorite menu that you've done or like something that you're kind of like just thinking about or like, you know, something that's like maybe, um, a little bit more specific, just like whatever you want, something you're excited about. So the, this is why I get super excited about all of the different types of food that I make and all the different types of cuisines I try to tackle is, you know, when somebody asks me, they're like, oh, well, what's on the menu? Like, what's your specialties? And I kind of throw it back at them. I'm like, well, what do you desire? Like, yeah. Would you like Vietnamese? Would you like Moroccan? Would you like Japanese? Like, and yeah. so it's like, I'll make and once they kind of give me the feel, then I'm like, okay, I'm going to write you a menu specially that follows exactly with a cuisine or a theme. Cause people will do theme parties with yeah. me as well. Like they're all dressed up in kimonos when I do sushi and, okay. yeah. <laughs> and that's what makes it fun for them. And that's what yeah. makes people, it's like, it, it isn't just about the dinner. It isn't just okay. about the food. It's like, it's about the experience and like, yeah, it's like your the prom, the prom dinners, yeah. prom, prom outfit dinners. Right. Yeah. 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 And, um, so like coming in with all those different types of food, but then I'll also say like, or do you want like the world tour menu? It's like, we do like 
first course Argentinian and next Moroccan. And then, but the thing is with the palate, I try to, if I'm doing a bunch of different cuisines on a menu, I try to make those palates like run in line with each other or complement each other because like going from Moroccan to Japanese not an easy thing to do. Right. To not like shock your taste buds in right. a weird way. So you got to put a cuisine that fits in between those yeah. two to help like, like a work, medium. Yeah. work into those cuisines that are completely opposite. Do you ever do things like, like have a, a, a visual um, goal? Like where like, like it's a color theme or something yep. like that. Mm-hmm. Cool. And yeah, that, that I love, especially like earlier we talked about imp- my impressionist uh, painting, love like you know sculptural the, yeah or just like menus? the yeah so oh, like creating cool. a huge color palette is extremely important to me and some people ask me they're like well like how do you get inspiration to go cook something new or something like that and i i tell them you know it's like walking into the grocery store for me is like walking into an art store and you always start with your colors yeah so your colors are your produce section so for me, when I want to paint a picture in my head of what I want to see and eat on a plate, I'll walk through the produce and be like, you know, where's my reds? Where's my purple, my green, my yellow? Yeah. You know, it's all about how visually appealing it is to me and also the flavors that you get from those ingredients. And realistically, like your protein is just kind of your canvas. Yeah, yeah, it's just a vehicle. Yeah. It's like that's that's not the part that's beautiful about the yeah. dish. It, it it appears like it cause that's what you really want. Yeah. But, um, and you know, with all these different cuisines, they all have their colors oriented with them. Right. And so going in there and being able to go into that produce section and just kind of like, I have no idea what I'm going to cook tonight, but yeah. I'm just going to sit here. I'm just going to look at my colors until something pops up in my head. That's cool. Yeah. love that. Um, is there anything final that you want to say about like, uh, just owning your own business or like your value system in your business or just anything we've kind of missed. I heard another one of those clicks and I'm just paranoid, but no. keep telling yeah, yeah, yeah. keep telling me. Um, owning a business is hard. Yeah, <laughs> it is. <laughs> um, it's very rewarding, um, stressful, but magical. And like, it, like I said before, it's helped me become a better person overall. And I'm also happy that I just get to have a business where I can make more than a living wage and feel comfortable, but also be creative yeah. with it at the same time. Um, I love making my own schedule. That's great. I feel the same way. Right. Yeah. I was talking, I was interviewing um, a saxophone player last week who's um, a bit older. I, I want to say he's maybe in his like late sixties. I think he told me, I just can't remember. Um, but, uh, we were talking about this, this kind of same thing of like, you know, it's a risky business, like mm-hmm. it's a risky career. And he said something that like, I just, I want to keep saying it, but he said like the risk for me would have been a nine to five. Yeah. Which I is, can totally agree. Yeah, It's, it's a good way to put it. Like, yeah. it's a good way to kind of like, like I'll take the like I'll take the weird hours, I'll take the longer hours, I'll take the harder overall work, mm-hmm. the la- less security. That all together feels better to me than a stable 9 to 5. One thing um 
Uh, and I, I, I don't know exactly where the saying is from, but you know, if you're not, if you're comfortable, you're not growing. Yeah. I believe that so much, and so much just talking about that risk of, you know, yeah. being your own business, like, uh, man, it's empowering. It is so satisfying like when you're hot and you're like making your money and you're, you know, making your art. And then you have the periods where you're not getting hired for like a little all bit. of 2020. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you know, that, can... that strikes fear and insecurity, you know, financially mm-hmm. inside of me and every, everybody else that owns a business and does the type of things that are like any artist that makes some money off of doing that. But it makes you grow makes you not just as a business, but as a individual and yeah. as a person. Yeah. You got to figure it out somehow. And yeah. Cause yeah. you know, being uncomfortable is going to make you push your limits more yeah. and more every single day. I totally agree. And also I have kind of a firm belief that like this kind of comfort and I mean, words mean different things, but I'm talking about the kind of like stagnant comfort, you know, I've kind of a firm belief that like, it's all always an illusion anyway. <laughs> like, right. I don't think it's ever real for anybody. No. So yeah, it, I mean, that's kind of just my own belief, but okay. I think we've kind of done it. So I always ask everybody two questions at the very end. Okay. The first is on this day, what's your dream collaboration? And it could be like other people that you're working with, or it could be like, you could build a dream event. The collaboration could be like a space or you could just say like your dream project. I would say my dream project, which it's kind of up for me to decide when to start doing this. Um, wouldn't necessarily be a collaboration with somebody else, but my goal is to open up a like catering kitchen that also has a private dining room in it that I hire musicians like oh, solo act musicians yeah exactly yeah. okay there we go yeah um to where if people don't want to like i want to have not a restaurant but i want to have a space that people can use to get together in smaller scenarios like uh, at most like a 20 person dining yeah. table cool and then being able to have local musicians and local artists come in and that. do things for them like while the dinner's going on yeah Cool. I love that idea. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. I'm really, um, like enchanted by like mixed media, like experiential kinds of things. I do, I do like a, I do a concert with my students every fall where we do the concert at the painter's palette, you know, Mm -hmm. where people paint ceramics and all of my students like do composition. So they, they perform original music and then everyone else in the room is painting and it's such a special energy. Like everyone is like invested in creativity and it's just like, it's cool. Mm-hmm. And if there was also beautiful food, right. Be even better. The other thing too, is that I would also want it to be like a bit of a mercantile. Cool. So, um, especially, especially as a chef, I have a love for fine knives yeah. and cutting boards. I know you are a knife guy. I am yeah. a knife guy. I'm a professional yeah. knife sharpener as well as a chef. So, um, cool. And I learned that from being a sushi chef by using cool. Japanese whetstones. Um, so I'd like cool. for it to be like a mercantile like that, but also um, coming into new medias. Like I've like I've always been in some type of art form outside of like what I'm trying to do for my career. And I started blowing glass last year. Amazing. So you know that what could also be inside of this project or dream project of mine 
a part of the mercantile would be a glass shop. Cool. And maybe even have a section of like an open glass, like just like watch people yeah. melt and that and all would that be stuff. amazing. I'm here for that. Yeah. Yeah. When that happens, I'll be there. Right. Um, and then finally, where can people find you? Um, you can find me on Instagram at of the garden culinary. Uh, you can find my website at of the gardenculinary.com. Uh, my Facebook page as well. I am located in Ogden, Utah, and I travel all around from Salt Lake to Park City to Lehigh. I've done some things down cool. uh, at Sundance. And then, um, yeah. Will you spell your last name? My last name is D-E-S, capital J-A-R-D-I-N-S. Which is of the garden. Yeah. Well, Matt, thank you so much. I so appreciate you driving down. This was such a treat for me. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Artifice. Our theme song is As You Are from My Album Masks with artwork and merch designs by Sarah Keel. If you'd like to recommend a professional artist for an interview on the podcast, you can reach me through my website, emilymerrellmusic.com. That's E-M-I-L-Y-M-E-R-R-E-L-L music.com. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks again. Have a great week.